Hello, and welcome to Backblast, where we take a blast back to the past and take a deep dive into the world of video game history. I'm your host, Ty Pickney, and this week I'll be venturing into the world of speedrunning. How do you play games? What is your goal? To 100% complete it? To finally beat the boss you've been grinding for days? Or is it just to have some fun with the little bit of free time you have? Everybody has different motives for playing the games that they love, but you may or may not know of the community that tries to beat games as fast as possible. Speedrunning is a huge sport that people from all over the world compete in. The goal? Get to the end as fast as you can. I will be going into detail about all of the intricacies and aspects that make this topic so interesting to me. I've been watching videos of speedruns for years and have seen so many amazing feats accomplished. The way that these runners are able to finesse their moves and timing is unbelievable at times. There have been a couple of times that I've been interested in learning a run, but with the time commitment involved it can be a very daunting task. Spending hours and hours practicing just one level just to get the best time you can. Let's start by jumping back to the beginning of speedrunning and see where it all began. All sorts of games have been perfected to get the fastest time. Everything from Super Mario World to 1080 Snowboarding to I Am Bread. But what did it all start with? Well, after searching around the internet, I found that speedrunning originates back in the late 90s. In late June of 1996, Quake by id Software was released. This game was a successor to the popular Doom that came out in 1993. Quake built upon Doom's success by updating Doom's game engine, which allowed for full-time 3D rendering. Quake also allowed the beloved multiplayer deathmatches, originating from Doom, to be played online with real players over the internet. These games were known for being hard, fun, and action-packed. With a huge arsenal of guns and all the monsters and soldiers to take down, Quake was taking over gamers' Surge, Bagel Bite, and Fruit-by-the-Foot-filled nights of the late 90s. Now, after Doom 2 came out in late 1994, an online collection was created called the Compete In. This site was launched to upload what were called demos of Doom 2 playthroughs. These demos were recordings of various playthroughs showing off different techniques or solutions to puzzles. ClassicDoom.com explains that these demos were created for the purpose of showing off solutions to puzzles and various techniques in the game, and that most of the time the monsters were turned off to avoid combat. This was because the demo files were not actually video files, they were basic data files that recorded keyboard and mouse inputs that could be reopened with the game software to view these recorded runs. If they turned off the monsters, this would mean less combat and less inputs, thus leading to a smaller file that was easier to upload. Shortly after being created, the Compete In got moved to CD-ROM.com. Now you may be wondering, what does all of this have to do with speedrunning? Well, through archive.org, I found that after Quake's release in 1996, the first speedruns were uploaded to the Compete In. In early 1997, Nolan Flug made the first page to keep track of records, Nightmare Speed Demos. A few months later, gunner Andre Moe made a page to keep track of the records on Easy Skill. 
Then in April 1998, they combined their websites and created Speed Demos Archive. This would be the official site for speedrunning Quake, then expanding to other games in later years. So now that we know a little bit about the history of where it all began, let's jump into the different categories of speedruns. You may have heard about any percent or 100%. These are the categories that are most popular and I would say that most games have. They're pretty self-explanatory. While any percent is trying to reach the end of the game as fast as possible, using any means possible, 100% is completing everything in the game and trying to reach the end as fast as possible. But the categories don't stop there. Almost every game ran has other game-specific runs that have their own completion regulations. If we take a look at Super Mario 64, we can see that there is a 120 star category, which is the 100%, and a 0 star category, which is the any percent, but there are also 1 star, 16 star, and 70 star runs. These specific runs can be created for many reasons. The categories in Super Mario 64 were created because of the game mechanics and finding new tricks over time. The 70 star run was created because within the game, traditionally, you must have 70 stars in order to reach the final boss and beat the game. There are various tricks and skips that can or cannot be done in other categories. We'll revisit Super Mario 64 later to talk about speedrunning tricks. Other games have completely different categories as well. Grand Theft Auto V has what is called Trevor Percent, which is where runners race to where they unlock Trevor as a playable character as fast as they can. Some other funny ones are Eggplant Percent in Spelunky, Dank Percent in Ocarina of Time, and Nipple Percent in Super Mario Odyssey. Now some of these are official speedruns, and some of them are more meme categories that aren't seriously ran often. But it's so cool to look at all the different categories that the different games have to offer. You may be wondering where all of this can be found. While Speed Demos Archive is still alive and has active runners and posts, speedrun.com is the official website and leaderboard that tracks world record runs. They have speedruns of over 15,000 games, and each game has moderators that watch and validate submitted runs. Anybody can create an account and submit runs that follow the rules. Once submitted and approved by the mods, the run will show up in the leaderboard with the official time and ranking. Runs that are not submitted to speedrun.com do not necessarily count in the community and are not as held as legitimate runs. It is a very cool site where you can browse around to see what people are playing and what the world records of any game are. You should check it out if you're interested in learning more. There are a few things that differ between all of the games that are run. First we'll talk about the timing. A lot of timers can be used to track segments and PBs, or personal bests. Segments are the different parts of the game that the run is broken down into. Sometimes these segments can be individual levels, or boss fights, or other various things that happen in the game. These segments are set up in the timer program, and runners can try practicing the segments to achieve their own PBs. When doing a run, the timer will display splits so that they can see how well they're doing in real time. Most timers will also take all of the PBs of the practice segments and display a best possible time. These timers are essential for speedrunners to practice and see when and where they can improve their times. The other somewhat common timing method is using an in-game timer. 
In the case of the original Sonic the Hedgehog, the in-game timer is used because at the end of the level when the score is calculated, if the time is lower, the score takes longer to count up because of a time bonus. This creates a catch-22 situation where going faster ultimately takes longer because of this. Therefore, the community decided to use the in-game timer to circumvent this. The method of timing for any run can be found by viewing the rules for the run on speedrun.com. Another difference between games is whether or not they allow the use of emulators. Since different emulators are created by various people, they all have different capabilities. Some emulators can run the game at different frame rates or may have different options that let you play at multiple speeds. Under the rules for each game, it will tell you what emulators are allowed for the submitted runs. When submitting a run, you must specify what platform the game was played on. Some games allow certain emulators and Nintendo's Virtual Console, while other games ban them completely. Some will allow them but in a separate category, as it can change aspects of the game and will not interfere with times on other platforms. It is ultimately up to the community and normally can be discussed in the game's speedrun Discord server. So as we move on from emulators and timing, let's get into what all the practice is for. Now throughout the years of being interested in speedrunning, of course I have tried or at least entertained the idea of learning a run. The problem always comes with the time commitment it takes. It takes hours and hours to practice individual segments or even just one trick. The things that speedrunners are able to do are sometimes out of this world. Sometimes the tricks are fairly simple, but others are insanely difficult and are often praised by the viewers that watch them get pulled off. Let's jump back to Super Mario 64. There's a very common trick that is used in runs of this game called the Backwards Long Jump, or BLJ for short. This is a trick where a player is normally on a slope and performs a long jump, but moves backwards and then mashes the jump button in order to gain enough backward speed to move very long distances in a short amount of time. This trick is very easy to perform. In fact, if you have the game, you can actually probably learn how to do this move within a few minutes on one of the various staircases. The BLJ is used in almost every category for Super Mario 64. It can be used to skip large sections of the castle. You can use it to skip the star door to the top floor and to skip the endless staircase to the final Bowser fight. But where it gets more interesting is how the trick is used in the zero star category. These BLJs are done in very tight spaces with very little room for error. Check out the current world record for Super Mario Any% by Dowski to see these tricks in action. This is a perfect case of how the practice and determination can make use of a simple trick and use it in its most powerful form to break all boundaries of a game. All games have various tricks that are practiced to perfection in order to secure the quickest runs. Closely related to tricks are glitches. A lot of games make use of glitches in their speedrun and may have a category called glitchless, where glitching and going out of bounds is actually not allowed. Glitching in games can take place in various ways to accomplish different tasks. One of the most popular use of glitches is to get out of bounds. This can be done in a variety of different ways depending on the game. A lot of times runners can clip through walls to reach areas that are not supposed to be accessible. A couple of runs that use out of bounds skips are Portal and Mirror's Edge. If you watch Can't Even's world record run of Portal, you can see what is able to be done by glitching through walls and skipping almost the entire game. On the first watch, you may have absolutely no idea what's going on and everything may seem like weird randomness. But once you get to know what the runner is doing, you can see that every move is calculated and perfected to pull off these tricks. 
This run takes Portal, which is supposed to last anywhere from 3 to 5 hours for a normal playthrough, and drops that time to just under 7 minutes. The current world record for Mirror's Edge by runner Vodium showcases some out-of-bounds moves that skip large sections of the game as well. These are glitches that make use of the environment and being able to manipulate it in ways that help you. But there are other glitches that runners can make use of as well. A lot of these can be inventory manipulation or game data manipulation. The current world record for the 11 exit category in Super Mario World is by Lost Core, clocking in at 9 minutes, 43 seconds, and 750 milliseconds. You can see the trick that makes this run possible in the first level. Using Yoshi, Lost Core shoots fireballs after gulping down a red Koopa shell. After jumping and shooting the fireballs, he continues to run and eats a green Koopa shell. And after lining up his shot, he spits out the shell so that it hits the fireball, but he also hops off of Yoshi and collects the coin that the green shell turns into as it's still attached to Yoshi's tongue. Now this may seem very convoluted, and it is, but what this does is it puts a glitched item into the inventory slot at the top of the screen. This item is a cloud that is used on the final Bowser fight in the game. This glitch, along with all of the other tricks and perfections in the run, are what allows Bowser to be defeated so quickly and easily in this category. Sequence breaking is what it is called when tricks are used to skip sections of the game that are normally required. This can be done by finding your way around loading zones or possibly even being able to skip levels completely. This is part of what has made Super Mario 64 speedruns so entertaining to watch. You may know that at the very beginning of the game, after the intro cutscene, Lakitu stops you outside the front doors of the castle and talks to you for a moment. Well, speedrunners found out that by performing a perfect jump from the side of the bridge, you can skip this dialogue completely. This may only save a few seconds, but when you're racing for the fastest time, every second counts. In some cases, every millisecond counts. These sequence breaks are also used throughout all of this game's categories. The BLJs that we talked about earlier are the most common ways to sequence break the game. They allow you to go through walls, doors, and cover a lot of ground fast. As with many other games, sequence breaking is the main way to cut big chunks off of your time, whereas perfecting movements and some other tricks will not save as much time, but they are still crucial to getting the world record. The next thing that runners practice is routing. What route is the fastest? Can you pick up a coin somewhere else instead? Runners have spent hours on finding the fastest path to take through games. Let's take Banjo-Kazooie for example. In the game, there are unlockable note doors that let you progress through the story. As you go through the game, you have to collect notes in all of the levels to gain enough of them to progress. Later in the game, there is a door to open which requires 450 notes. There are plenty of levels before this that the notes can be collected in, so routing is determining whether collecting an extra 5 notes is quicker in Treasure Trove Cove or Clanker's Cavern, or maybe it's quicker to find them in a completely different level. Routing can also be changed based on new findings in games or new tricks being discovered. In Banjo-Kazooie, toward the ending, there's a game show type quiz where you must answer questions based on the game. There was originally a route that went right through the board as quickly as possible, but then there was a trick that was found. See, normally there are invisible walls around the board, so while walking around you can't fall into the lava below or skip board spaces. And when you get a death question wrong, the walls disappear and you get bumped into the lava. Well, it was found out that if you stand on a specific square and position yourself perfectly, when you got the question wrong, you weren't tossed into the lava. Rather, you landed safely on the board. But since you never died, the invisible walls never return. 
which meant you could walk the rest of the way across the board without having to complete any more board spaces. This trick changed the route to now go to this space as fast as possible, instead of just the other side of the board. Well then later it was found out that there was one more spot on the board that this trick could also be done on, and going to this spot was faster than the previous spot found, so the route changed yet again and lowered the world record even more because of it. This is why routing is so important to speedrunners and is always being looked at as an opportunity to knock some time off. I will put a link in the show notes to a video that Carl Jobst made that goes way more in depth on how this trick was found and routed. So you may have heard the term RNG before. This stands for Random Number Generator and is used to describe the random events that occur in a game. It can affect anything from item drops to traffic to combat. This is what can ruin a run for many runners at any time. Sometimes a runner might be on the perfect run and have bad RNG halfway through or almost all the way through the run and it ruins their chance for world record. This is a pretty common issue with running Pokemon games, as catching Pokemon and a lot of the battles are based on RNG. This is also why the Grand Theft Auto games are difficult to run. The traffic, shooting, weird game physics, a lot of it is based on RNG. It also makes it more difficult that these are long runs anyway. We can take a look at this by comparing the Grand Theft Auto V leaderboard to the original Super Mario Bros. leaderboard just to see how RNG can affect runs. As of recording this, the top 132 placings for the Any% category for Super Mario Bros. are between 4 minutes 55 seconds and 5 minutes, a difference of 5 seconds. That is because there's virtually no RNG in this game, and everything has been perfected over the years to achieve the perfect times. But if we look at the Grand Theft Auto 5 times for any percent, the current world record is 5 hours 42 minutes and 4 seconds, while third place is all the way up to 5 hours 55 minutes and 43 seconds. That's over a 16 minute difference. This is partially because of how much RNG affects the runs. RNG is also a huge factor in RPG speedruns because of all the combat involved and their length as well. If you're looking to get into speedrunning, I would suggest a game with little to no RNG as to not be discouraged too early on. Speedrunning has obviously been enjoyed for many years now by a huge number of people, but it's not just for fun anymore. There are a lot of people and organizations that use speedrunning to raise money for charity. If you haven't heard of Games Done Quick or GDQ, it is an event where speedrunners from all over the world meet up and run their favorite games while raising money for various charities including CARE, Doctors Without Borders, and Prevent Cancer Foundation. Started in 2010, GDQ is comprised of Awesome Games Done Quick, or AGDQ, which happens in January, and Summer Games Done Quick, or SGDQ, which is held in the summer while the kids are out of school. The events are streamed online and people can donate for their favorite runner or game. In the beginning, the events lasted for three days each and they brought in just over $10,000 in the first year. Now they're week-long events that raise millions, yes millions of dollars per event. The most recent AGDQ was held from January 5th to January 12th in Florida and raised over $3.1 million. The power that the community has created is amazing, and it's good to see that these people who at first just wanted to beat Quake as fast as they can are now raising millions per year for charity. All of the runs can be viewed on the official GDQ YouTube channel. Watching GDQ speedruns are also a great way to learn more about the runs and the tricks involved, as there's normally commentators that explain everything that the runner does. One thing that I found by watching GDQ events are races. 
This is where popular runners of the community will race games side by side. This lets viewers have some friendly competition and see different ways that the games can be ran. Maybe they try different tricks or slightly different routes in order to gain the edge on the other runner. One really interesting race from this year's AGDQ was the Super Mario Maker 2 Blind Level Team Race. This was where two teams of four high-profile Mario Maker speedrunners, including Ryukar, Grand Pooh Bear, The Beast 721, and Carl Sagan 42, took on eight approved levels that were made just for this event without ever having seen them before. If they died, they rotated positions and the next teammate would try next. This was a really cool take on using the learned skills of these speedrunners to jump into a level completely blind and then try to beat it as fast as possible. There are plenty of other games that are raced as well that are really neat to watch. There are other cool ways that speedrunners try to make their runs more interesting. The most popular is probably blindfolded runs. Unlike the Super Mario Maker blind level race, these runs are actually ran while the player is blindfolded. They use the game's sounds, timing, and their own muscle memory to complete the games as fast as possible while not being able to see. You can find quite a few blindfolded runs of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and Ocarina of Time. There are also neat runs that involve using unconventional controllers. You can watch Simple Flips beat Super Mario 64 with a Guitar Hero controller, or watch Circuit beat Minecraft on PC with a SNES controller. There are also various runs where they are one-handed or using their feet with a controller. When runners feel the run is too easy, they'll find any way to make it more challenging. Another way that increases competition and challenge of speedruns is setting bounties. If there's been a wall that players cannot leap over for too long, sometimes somebody will place a bounty on beating the record or beating a certain time. These can be anywhere from a couple hundred dollars to a couple thousand dollars. Recently, YouTuber EasyScape posted a video for a 2019 end of the year challenge partnering with Ballistics Gaming and a community member, Alan Chatham, that had a $10,000 bounty for Super Mario 64. This was made merely to increase competition and give back to the community for what they love doing. These bounties aren't too common, but they are neat when they show up. So, as I've been editing this episode, EasyScape uploaded a video detailing the bounty and the conclusion. Long story short, after the bounty had been going on, the European Speedrun Assembly made an event out of it and flew seven top speedrunners to Sweden to compete in a three-day marathon focused on the bounty. They also added in their own prize pools for the marathon as well. This community is all about getting together and beating the toughest challenges and helping others in any way they can. Check out his video for more details about it. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. So there are a couple more things I want to hit before I wrap this up. So let's talk about TAS and cheating. TAS stands for Tool Assisted Speedrun. This is where people will create a speedrun with a computer program that allows users to create the button and joystick inputs on a frame-by-frame -frame basis. It is kind of similar to the files that were uploaded to the Compete-In back in the beginning years. These allow people to try to push the limits of what is possible within the game without human error being involved. A lot of task speedruns are made to show what the absolute perfect time achievable is. Like I said, most of these are not humanly possible because of all the frame perfect inputs or extremely fast inputs. I hate to keep bringing up Super Mario 64, but it is one of the biggest games in speedrunning and showcases so many different aspects of it. There's a video by Panincoic2012 where they use a task to collect all eight red coins in Jolly Roger Bay without raising the ship out of the water. 
They do a BLJ off of the cannon and do a series of huge wall jumps to hop around the level like crazy in order to collect the last red coin and finally the star. When you watch it, it looks crazy as it's happening, but could only be completed with a TAS with how many frame-perfect inputs there are. TASs are interesting to watch because it lets you see what is technically possible while pushing the games to their limits, but these TASs can also be used to cheat. When uploading a TAS, it is a common courtesy to label it correctly as to not seem like you're taking credit for the playthrough. If you're found using a TAS or cheating in any way in a submitted speedrun, your account will be deleted and all of your runs will no longer be official. Although cheating is not common, it does happen sometimes. The community is really good at catching cheaters early on. Normally they can tell by seeing video splices or noticing too accurate non-human-like controls. Sometimes they may be able to find hard-to-spot splices by viewing the audio in a spectrogram. This is a visual representation of the audio in the recording and will show splices very easily. Using a non-approved emulator can also be considered cheating. Like I said, cheating is not super common, but it does seem to be sensationalized on YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, speedrunning is huge on YouTube. That's where I generally watch most speedruns, and people can easily share their attempts or tips and tricks videos. But one thing I want to point out is the speedrunning information channels. There are many channels that focus on sharing information about the progression of world records, top fives, challenges, and all aspects of speedrunning. I'd like to shout out a few channels that I find super interesting. All of their links will be available in the show notes. Summoning Salt, Carl Jobst, Easyscape, Bscape, and Smallant1 are great places to start if you're interested in learning more about the topic. So, are you interested in trying to beat Sonic the Hedgehog as fast as possible? Seeing how quickly you can take out GLaDOS and Portal? Maybe you want to try beating Super Meat Boy with a Nintendo Power Glove for something else weird. Speedrunning can seem daunting at first, but can be extremely rewarding if you do end up learning a run and working on your PB. It takes hours of practice to learn all the tricks, glitches, and learn every aspect of the game. People that speedrun are amazingly talented at what they do. Thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in watching or learning any more about speedrunning or its culture, make sure to check out the show notes for all the links to the videos I referenced and anything else I talked about today. I'm Ty Pickney. Talk at you next time on Backblast. Good.